Good morning. Happy Easter to everybody. So good to be in worship with you this morning. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who said, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and I will raise it again in three days. He did what he promised. He did what he promised to do as the Son of Man, as the Son of God. And his work on the cross has offered salvation for anyone who will believe. No one is exempt from it. No one is absent from the opportunity. But do we believe? I would imagine to some degree you believe or you wouldn't be gathered here this morning. But I want to challenge that belief. Not because it's not authentic But it is a day like today that we must go back and look at what we believe. It's a day like today where our very faith hinges on what took place when Jesus rose from the dead. Without it, Scripture says, our faith is futile. Without it, we are as lost as we've ever been. Some would say, what if you're wrong? I would say back, What if the others are? It was more than a single event. I think one of the things that, honestly, in our culture, that I constantly wrestle with is how we take a holy day, as good as it is, and we turn it in, maybe even to some things that's not, but also bring it down to a single event. Now, there's no doubt that this single event is what changed the course of every human in history. But it was more than just that event. It was the teaching. It was the miracles. It was the promises. It was the authority of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the punishment that Jesus received, the suffering that Jesus underwent, the death that Jesus experienced, the suffering the mission that he was on. You see, each and every part of this man's life and death defined his coming back to life. It was, in a popular word today, epic. In fact, epic doesn't even do it justice. It was supernatural. More so than any historical event ever. Ever witnessed or ever told before. Many have remembered and recounted, as we will today, this story for centuries. Some would say it's out of date. Some would say that it's no longer relevant. Some continue to try to change the facts and the detail. But there are others who cling to every detail because our very lives depend on it. Our very identity is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a story about us. It's a story for us and for every person who ever has lived. Let's pray. Father God, as we enter into your word this day, God, I would ask that you would speak to our hearts in such a way, God, that on this Resurrection Sunday, that we would believe with greater faith than we ever have before, that any unbelief that we have that just as Thomas doubted, just as 
others that we read about in Scripture doubted. But yet, when they encountered you, Jesus, they believed. It wasn't just facts, although they pointed to everything that you promised. They gave us truth. Is that yet in that, God, we can make the story something we want it to be. Something that make us, makes us feel good or feel better. God, all wrapped up in your truth of the resurrection is everything we ever need. For any situation, any circumstance, any joy, any trial, it's there. And you thought of us, Jesus. So we ask God that we open our eyes, we look into your word, and we would encounter it with a faith that anticipates and believes the impossible because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. One of the things we see in the resurrection of Jesus the King Remember, just not even a week ago, Jesus entered into this town called Jerusalem, and he was welcomed as the king. Some truly did believe. Others were there for the party. Others were there for lots of other reasons. But one of the things that we continue to see, not only during this Holy Week, but leading up to all of what Jesus has done, is that he was a life shared. Look at Philippians 2, 7 and 8. Think about the resurrection as I read this. Rather, he, that is Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, the very possibility and potential for the resurrection began with Jesus coming to the earth. That's why at Christmas we celebrate Jesus' birth, because of all that it set in, in, in motion, in place. And so his humanity is such a part of this resurrection. And it's what we must understand about who Jesus is, because he lived and he breathed just as we live and breathe. His being made in human likeness set forth that mission. This is what's often returned to in Scripture in its title, the Son of Man. It has to do with that earthly mission. It has to do with His humanity. Without it, the resurrection is not as significant because it is a man who was human who died physically, and then rose again. You see, without God sending His Son in the form of a man, walking this earth, there is no death for payment of sins. And there's no resurrection. Yes, perhaps He would have been resurrected, but it loses its significance in our lives as we look to Him as Savior. Specifically, what we see in the way Jesus shared life is that he became a servant. Now, pay attention here, because this is relevant for us in how we live our lives as Christ followers. 
Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, what Jesus did in sharing his life is that he gave us. He served God by revealing the truth about God. There was so much, much misunderstanding about who God was. Look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees who condemned Jesus to death. Their warped, law-driven, no faith, legalistic religion. Praise God that we don't live in that today. But it's the resurrection and Jesus serving and sharing life leading up to the resurrection that actually fulfilled the law and turned that law, took that law, and allowed it to become what John 1 says in 4 and 5, the light and the life of men. You see, we walk in darkness without Jesus. Jesus shared life. He shared his life. And he taught us about the plan of salvation. He said to the people of that day, he says to us today, is that you can be right with God if you believe. And that was his mission, to be that person that made us right with God. But he also served us not just by revealing the truth of God, he served us by carrying out God's mission by suffering and death. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Passion that was directed by Mel Gibson and starred uh, Jim Caviezel. I started watching it again. I have not watched it since it came out. In fact, when I was youth pastor, I took um, a bunch of students and some adults. Some of you may have went with us, and we watched that movie. I didn't get all the way through it yesterday, but I got through the suffering, the beating. It still makes me weep. It makes me weep not just because a man is being beaten and his flesh essentially by the whips is being torn off of his body. We can weep because someone is suffering physically. But it's what's underneath that physical suffering that makes me weep. He suffered because of me. He suffered because of you. But he served us, didn't he? He served us each step of the way. Committing his spirit to God. Saying to God, I'm ready to take what has been given to me. What I willingly take. You see, he served us by living out. Not just words. Not just walking around being a celebrity figure in a time and a place because he was able to perform miracles. He served us because he died on the cross and endured everything up to that. Now, I know most of you know that. Most of you have encountered this story. You've read this story. You know this story. You could repeat this story aside. Repeat it. Share it with people. Share how Jesus shared his life with you. Because it is the bearing of the weight of our sin 
that is what the resurrection is all about. You see, resurrection, coming back to life, is just coming back to life. Pretty big thing. But it happened to Lazarus because of Jesus. It happens for us because of Jesus. And it's because he was a servant. But I think another thing that we see on a deeper level, and I think that many in this culture, many in this world, in history would say, yes, Jesus served. That's not too hard to see. You can simply look through the Gospels and read story after story, historical accounts beyond the Bible and say, yes, this man served. But he was just a man. He was human. We don't deny that, many say. He was just a man, though. But there's something distinctly different about the King, Jesus Christ. He shared himself. Christ was shared with us in every drop of blood, in every uh, tear, in every ounce of sweat. Christ was shared. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave, what's the word? Himself as a ransom for all people. That's where the power and victory of the resurrection comes. Yes, he was human, and that's important because he understood what it was like for us to live on this earth, and he lived it perfectly as the Son of Man. He knows our weaknesses. He knew and knows the temptations that we undergo each and every day because he's experienced what it means to be human. But the power and victory of the resurrection is in the Son of God. If we understand the meaning of the word Christ, the title of Christ, it signifies, it signifies Jesus' office, his function, his role, his work as anointed Savior. And it alludes to his spiritual qualifications. What are his spiritual qualifications? He's sinless. As a human, he is sinless. And that qualifies him then to bear the weight of our sin. I came across an article last night. Oh, did it fire me up. Um, And and I didn't print it off, but it was in my Google News feed. And it was a a man, I don't know who the man is. I'm going to do some research on it. But this man, the title of the article, and it caught my attention. And it said, Easter is about faith and love, not sacrifice. Think about this. This is the battle we're in in our faith today. We want to take, people want to take what Jesus shared in, him very, in his very self, and we want to take it, and we want to make it all warm and fuzzy. And I read this article in such disbelief, because this man basically said, I grew up in a fundamental environment where sacrifice and God somehow had to make payment for sin. He said, that's not a loving God. You see what this man's forgetting about is that God is holy. And because God is holy, anything that is not holy is separated from Him. 
And because God is holy, God, in being holy, must deal with things that are not holy. Otherwise, God is not holy. Now, it's not warm and fuzzy. But when you take out the sacrifice of Jesus Christ from the resurrection and the very person and work of Jesus Christ, you remove the Son of God. Again, most people, Son of Man, okay, we can get that. He was a really good example. He served us. That's a great thing to follow. But you bring in the Son of God. You begin to look at atonement. 1 John 2.2 2 says, he is an atoning sacrifice. I really want to know what this man does with that passage of Scripture. Because atonement is all, all about at one meant. Making, making two who are separated one. Making them right with one another. That's what Jesus did for you. He made you right with God. He made me right with God. And if I will believe in who Jesus is, then I will be right with God. And that has to do with God's wrath and His love, His holiness and His goodness. I don't want to serve a God who is simply love. I want to serve a God who is holy. I hope you do too. Because it's the holy God who shared His Son and His Son gave of Himself to pay for our sin. What this often does is it weakens our sinful nature. People have a hard time. We have a hard time, don't we, acknowledging that we are sinful beings. But we are. We are. We really are. And it is the love of God in Jesus Christ that went to the cross for us. I'm quite sick of cheap imitations of love. And every, imita every imitation besides what I see in Jesus Christ is cheap. And let me just tell you, you're worth more than that. Every single one of you. But he is our sacrifice. Christ shared himself in sacrifice. He reconciled, made us right. And you're forgiven. Colossians 1.22 says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Did you catch that? You are not just made right. You are without blemish. You are holy. There's not many people who go around thinking they're holy. At least they shouldn't. You're not just okay in God's eyes. You are perfect in the eyes of God in your belief in Jesus. That means no matter what. I'm amazed how many people still believe that God couldn't love them. See, if we get rid of our sin and our sinfulness, what about everyone who thinks they're not worthy of God's love? But when we say, oh, God knows your sinfulness, 
when we believe in our own lives and tell our own stories about how God forgave our sickness and made us right through Jesus, we are new. We are new. We as a church have been talking about become. This idea of our identity in Jesus Christ. This church is what it hinges upon. Without the resurrection, there is no become. It is what we have been and what we will always be. But in the resurrection, which is why this day should be a glorious celebration and shouldn't end at midnight tonight, but why it should last in our lives is because it changes the very soul of who we are. We are reborn. Reborn. And this is really what this leads up to. The resurrection is life shared and Christ shared. But the resurrection for us who believe as Christians, it is our testimony. We testify that we share life. Look at Romans 6. For if we have been united, we'll talk about that in a moment, with him, that is Jesus, in a death like his, he will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I'm going to read that one again. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. I absolutely believe because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me that my life is nothing without him. That's what Christians believe. We have been united with him. United means that we don't just travel with Jesus when it's convenient. We don't just talk about Jesus when there's pain. We don't just cry out to Jesus when we're hurting. Yeah, we do all of that stuff, but we celebrate him when things are good. We celebrate him when things are bad. When all of life does not make sense. And some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now, and you're saying, I can't make sense of my life. Look to Jesus. It sounds like a simple answer. It sounds like a cliche, but it is the power of the resurrection that makes that possible. And so, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should share life. We are not sharing our life. We are sharing the life of Jesus through us. You see, we have no reason to be selfish. We have no reason to be consumed with what we want. Scripture tells us that God will give us the desires of our heart. And my friends, what we are sharing is not something that's yours any longer. It has been given to Jesus. And it is to be shared with all who know and don't know Him. Because I would contend that a life without Jesus really is not life. It's survival. Some would say that's rather harsh. I know that was true of my life before Jesus. I know it was true of many of your lives before Jesus. And so we should do as Jesus did. We should serve. Jesus served. So should we in the name of Jesus. Our old lives, our lives apart from Christ, 
we're lived for ourselves. And the result of that is slavery to sin. But we are now alive in the spirit of Christ working in us. There's a passage of text I read at almost every wedding ceremony I ever have performed. And it's 1 John 4. Those of you who have officiated your ceremony, you probably don't remember it because you were all, woo, and that's good. But hopefully you know it. You see, we serve others with the love of Christ. You've all heard me say it many a times. We are not a social service organization. We are the people of God. And the difference is as good as social service organizations can be. And many who are a part of those who serve Jesus in those organizations. The church's very identity is about the love that's been poured out upon us. And that we serve others with. And what that means is that it's all about Jesus. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He begins to paint this picture, John does. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Which means we didn't earn the love. We didn't do a lot of good deeds so Jesus would like us and do something good for us. No, God said, I love you, I have created you, and I am going to pour my love out to you, over you, through you. Now, your choice is whether you receive that or not. Dear friends, John says, since God so loved us, here's the command, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God I can't see it, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's how we share life. And that should happen in these walls and well beyond these walls. We serve others. We share life by serving them, which means that not only do we tell the difference that Jesus makes in our life, is that when we fail, we repent of that. We go back to Jesus and say, restore me anew. But it goes further. You see, a Christian testifies to the resurrection by the way we share life, but a Christian also testifies to the resurrection by the way we share Christ. Now, often when we speak of sharing Christ, we get images of people just having their nice little testimony together and written down and and shared. That's great. Do that. But I think our testimony is bigger than just our words. In fact, our words are made more real and more Um, authoritative in the name of God when our actions actually walk with our words. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Did you catch it? The way we share Christ is that we offer ourselves as sacrifices. None of us are likely going to have to go to a cross and sacrifice our lives the way Jesus did. 
But each and every day we have choices to make as Christians. Are we going to worship who Jesus is? Or are we going to do simply what we want to do? And I will tell you, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I want to do is worship Jesus. In other words, they don't have to be separate things. When we begin to sacrifice our lives for who Jesus is, we begin being the body of Christ. We read about that in 1 Peter. As we studied 1 Peter in the last couple of months, we are like living stones being built into a spiritual house and a holy, anybody remember it? Anybody? Priesthood. It's no fun being quizzed in the middle of church, is it? I think more than ever in this world, the wor world needs the people of God. Because the world needs Jesus. And we can't expect people who don't know Jesus to testify and share Christ with others. That is the role of the church. My commitment to us as a church, as one of your pastors, is that we are going to relentlessly continue to share Christ with people. Some may say it would be too bold. Some would say it may not be very loving. Some may say, well, the message really doesn't feel good. I beg to differ. It's everything anybody ever needs and desires and longs for. And in the process, we have the opportunity to live as holy, living sacrifices for God. If you look at the front of your bulletin, if you would um, flip to it, there's a passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture is in this setting right before actually Jesus was coming in on what we now refer to as Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Just before that, not long before that, this man, Lazarus, had died. Lazarus was a really good friend of Jesus. And Lazarus, Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha, were at the scene. They had called for Jesus. Jesus was somewhere else. And they had said, Jesus, they had sent people. You need to come. Lazarus has died. In fact, Lazarus died before Jesus got there. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. He stinketh. Traditional in that time, there was a period of mourning that was extended. But there's also a period of about three days that was a distinguished time of mourning. And there was a belief in that culture that if a man was or woman was to come somehow come out of death, it would happen in those three days. It wasn't a belief by everybody, but some commentators say it was heavy in the culture. It's helped me begin to understand why did Jesus wait four days? Maybe that had something to do with it. So Jesus shows up. In fact, Martha, in all of her busyness, she works her way out to Jesus before he comes upon the scene. And there's this interaction that takes place. It's recorded uh, in chapter 11 of John. And 
Martha and Jesus began to interact. Martha basically said, Jesus, you're kind of late here. Uh, if you just showed up before, then I'll tell you, um, Lazarus wouldn't have died. A little bit of a guilt trip by Martha, huh? Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, Martha believed in who Jesus was. This was pre-resurrection. She believed that Jesus had the power to raise people after they died. On the last day when Jesus would return for a second time. But he kind of blows up everything that Martha is focused on. And this is one of those times for Jesus. It, it just makes me kind of laugh, quite frankly. is because Martha's kind of here, focused on her dead brother. And yeah, I know he's going to raise again in the last day, Jesus. I already believe that about you. And then Jesus says this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Post-resurrection, this has a little bit different picture for us, right? But Jesus hadn't died and rose from the dead again. But what he claims here is not only that he will experience resurrection, what he claims is that he is the source of all resurrection. He is the reason for all resurrection. And then he says this to Martha. Do you believe this? Now Martha and Mary and Lazarus were some of the closest people to Jesus on this earth. Their commitment to him was more consistent than many of the disciples. Yet he has the goal to say, do you believe this? Here's why. He wants Mary, excuse me, Martha to know that it is because of Jesus there was resurrection. I ask you today, do you believe this? Simply showing up to church doesn't mean you believe it. You may not mind hearing about it or talking about it. Reading the Bible doesn't mean necessarily that you believe this. But to believe in what Jesus said, and I am the resurrection and the life, is to receive it, is to hold it, and enjoy and live into the reality and power of it. And if you do, there is joy, there is comfort, there is peace, and there is hope. My understanding of the resurrection continues to get more full. Every funeral, every visitation I attend shapes that more for me. And the reason is, 
is because I can't imagine as a person living life and not believing in the hope of the resurrection. Not just for the future, but for today. Because if there's no resurrection, then I understand why we say, live it up, you got one life to live, live it as well as you can. That would make sense to me then. But that's not true. We have life eternal in Jesus Christ. Today is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the King, who has come into the world to offer salvation to you and to me and to anyone who chooses to accept it. Do you believe this? If you do, you don't have to prove it to me. But you need to show him. You need to share your life in every way as a servant that God has equipped you. You need to share Christ in every opportunity with people that know him, people who don't know him. Affirm those who do. Challenge and love and care for those and point those who don't. Because when all goes away, there's only Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we call upon you this day in praise and adoration for what you have done, for who you are as the Son of Man, as the Son of God. I know my heart today is torn between tears of joy, shouts of celebration, and yet sadness because of many who don't believe. I feel often, God, that I'm holding on to something that you never intended me to hold that tightly to. And that is the story and power of your resurrection. May our lives, may my life, may the lives of those sitting here today testify to the resurrection in such a way that no one would ever have to ask us, do we believe this? Because every word and every action that comes out of our lives would scream of the resurrection power of Jesus. And that we would be walking, living, breathing, alive testimonies, not only on this earth, but even after our casket closes. We would be a testimony to who you are, Jesus, as the resurrection and the life. So God, I pray that we would celebrate in this final song but I pray that our celebration would never be contained in simply a song, but that it would be our life, our roles as moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, cousins, aunts and uncles, friends, the people of God. People would see it in every part of who we are. Receive our worship today, God. And may Jesus, King, May we proclaim that you are the resurrection and the life. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen. Let's stand.